talk to Tony and Obie Award-winning writer and performer Sarah Jones about her latest one-woman show on sex work called Sell By Date. Some of Sarah's characters will join us, too, through Sarah, who is a genius mimic. And we talk live in studio with journalist Patrick Hillsman about ISIS and his addiction to heroin versus his addiction to reporting on the Middle East. Patrick writes for places like The Daily Beast, Alternate, and is the associate editor of a new daily website called The Influence, which focuses on addiction and recovery from a harm reduction perspective. And in really exciting news, we will be having our first ever live taping of The Katie Halper Show in front of an audience. So come on down. It's free Wednesday, January 6th at 8 p.m. at the Brooklyn Commons at 388 Atlantic Avenue. Our guest will be Jay Smooth, whose videos on politics, race, pop culture, and hip-hop have garnered millions of views and praise from people like Rachel Maddow, who's called his work genius, Wired Magazine, which called him the hardest blogging man in hip-hop, and Salon, which called him one of the sexiest men alive. Can't make it on Wednesday? We'll be live streaming it from the Brooklyn Commons website. But if you're anywhere within the New York City area, come to the Brooklyn Commons Cafe and Performance Space at 388 Atlantic Avenue. Have some food or beer or wine while you watch our live talk show. And as always, please, please, please subscribe to the Katie Halper Show on iTunes. Rate it and write a review if you want. But definitely subscribe and give it some stars. Just go on iTunes and search for the Katie Halper Show and tell your friends about the show. You can also follow us on SoundCloud. This Wednesday, January 6th at 6 p.m., you can find us on the WBAI radio waves, just as you can every other Wednesday. But this Wednesday, January 6th at 8 p.m., you can also find us live at the Brooklyn Commons for our first live taping of the Katie Halper Show, where we'll be talking to Jay Smooth. So come on down and we'll see you there. Hello and welcome to the Katie Halper Show. If it's 6 p.m. and it's on a Wednesday, you're listening to the Katie Halper Show. There's really nothing else to do. Let's just get it out there. You're listening to WBAI 99.5 FM, WBAI.org. It is December 30th. Anyone have any New Year's resolutions they want to share? I would like to be out of debt. Okay. So <laughs> any realistic resolutions? Oh, well, you that's said more realistic. like a fantasy than resolution. You know, that's the sad thing. What's scary is, is that winning the lottery seemed to be more as a plan B more right. and more every day. Right. Oh, by the way, speaking of winning the lottery, we hit the jackpot. We've hit pay dirt. I don't get why that's a good thing, but apparently it is. We have later on in the show, our second guest calling in is Sarah Jones. What? Performance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, one woman show, writer, performer, Toby, uh, Tony, (laughs) Toby. Tony Award winning and Obie Award winning. But if you put, want to be concise and efficient, you just say Toby Award winning. Is she, she just did a TED Talk. I stumbled upon yes, her TED Talk did. on, she, on her YouTube. Her TED Talk is one of the most popular ones. She's and a she's, longtime supporter of WBAI. That, that she is. She's been called a master of the genre by the New York Times. And she did a show, Bridge and Tunnel, which was produced off Broadway by NBD, no big deal, Oscar winner Meryl Streep. Oh, and then it went to Broadway, and that's where where she won a special Tony Award. And she's going to be talking to us about her new work, uh, which is a solo show, "Sell by Date." Get it? "Sell by Date." It's a pun, which is about sex work. And uh, we're going to talk to her later, so we're really excited. By the way, time out, guys. December thirtieth. So I'm going to say happy birthday to Jeannie Hopper. Yes, Jeannie. Yeah. Happy birthday to Jay Smooth. To Jay Smooth. Institutions at WBAI. My birthday was last week. Oh, my Lord. Oh, yeah. my young lords. Your lord's birthday was also. Oh, yeah. Was it JC's? You're welcome, Christians from the Jews. You're welcome. Well, actually, Jewish some mother. say that his birthday was on June. 
Oh, okay. But for the lack of argument, let's say it was on the 25th of Your birthday? December. When's your birthday? It was the 23rd. It was last Wednesday. Reggie. Why do you tell us? You know what, Reggie? You're on that. Facebook all the time. How how could you not know? Dar Williams would have sung you happy birthday. Dar Williams was on last week. Yeah. He would have sung you happy birthday, I bet. I'm speaking for Dar right now. But well, I I'm pretty sure she would. Next time. Okay. I find out that Reggie's married just because right. I noticed a ring. Yeah. Someone put a ring on it. Yeah, Lucky well, lady put a ring on yeah, it. Well. What I did notice from Facebook is that you finally put up that you're married. Yeah, it took a while. Yeah. I mean, it's not like I'm trying to hide or anything like that. I work. I'm a busy man. I thought you were going to say I'm a businessman. Reggie, of course, is our, our engineer, the savior of the show. And I'm here, as always, with a very contemplative... Gabe Pacheco, very funny man, Gabe Pacheco, comedian. What's up, guys? Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Katie. I'm here. I just wanted to interject, jump in. Reggie's birthday, December 23rd. Is that right. correct, my man? You no, know, that, that, that is correct. Right. You know, you're not the only December baby. I'm uh, December 22nd. I know, and I said happy birthday to you as well. Yeah, man, so that's OMG. great. I just, that was uh, the first yeah, time I made that yeah. connection. You know what? I did text you happy birthday, right, Gabe? Yeah, you did. And I said, happy birthday. How's your day going? I was very concerned. Thank you. Well, I you couldn't like have texted me. You couldn't I have texted anyone. Was yours. Well, you couldn't text it and we, because my phone was stolen. Oh, there you go. Yeah, you my see, phone oh, was stolen actually, earlier this you, I month. You. Yeah. I texted you. Oh, happy okay. Birthday. Really? I guess you okay. didn't get it. Oh, phone yeah. My phone was stolen. Yeah. Someone got it. Someone got it. I just want to announce that next week, we're very excited. We are having our first Katie Helper show and tell. A live show. En vivo. En vivo. It's en vivo. live in that it's not live on WBA. It's a little confusing. It's live streamed and it's live in front of an audience. And you come sit with us and our guest is going to be Jay Smooth. So you guys got to come. What? Yes. Jay Smooth from YouTube? Jay Smooth from YouTube. No, YouTube Jay Smooth sensation. from WBAI. Well, you mean Jay Smooth from WBAI exactly. with the hip hop show? Who, That's right. With Underground, Underground Railroad. Railroad. New York's That's longest right. running hip hop radio show correct and he's got the ill doctrine in the ill doctrine there's been a gap for decades between lefties who think that economic justice automatically covers racial justice and those who think that racial justice is actually a thing of its own that you need to focus on this pressure from black lives matter has gotten bernie sanders to bridge that gap more than he ever has before and that's a win for everybody everybody's winning right now black lives matter is doing exactly what people said they couldn't do they're focused on electoral politics and having specific impact on policy discussion and that work is already bringing each of the candidates a little bit closer to truly representing all of the people they're supposed to serve actually rachel maddow called him a genius he is now I, he is a genius he is but also i want to say he doesn't that, like it but yeah, i i, you know, I, I doesn't like being called a genius Anahasi Coates. and we are so thrilled to have with us the genius, literally the genius. Not just me saying that. It's also the MacArthur Grant saying that. Ta-Nehisi Coates. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks Although, for coming. Um, not, not quite a genius yet. When people say genius, you don't turn your head? <laughs> um, um, when it's said um, ironically, uh, oh. but any degree of earnestness added to that um, makes my skin crawl. <laughs> you see, not just genius, ladies and gentlemen, but humble. The humble genius. Humble genius. Oh, that should be the name of your next... They oh, like that. Humble genius. I like great. that. Humble genius. HGs. But someone else, HGs, but someone else will have to, to write it, because obviously. <laughs> this show should be called The Katie Halver Show, Following Humble Geniuses. 
So guys, the Katie Halper show and tell, Gabe, Reggie, and I will be there. We'll be talking to Jay Smooth over cocktails, by the way. Mm, Shirley Temples Shirley, with vodka. Surely you're not serious. Mm-hmm. And don't call me Shirley. Yeah, I Wait, love that film. So, so that's Airplane, everyone. So yeah. that will be at the Brooklyn Commons, which is a really cool cafe, bar, performance space, community space. And it's at 388 Atlantic. It's in the same building as WBAI. And we're going right. to have a, our first live taping of the Katie Halper show. And it's going to be some hot WBAI on WBAI live action in which we talk to WBAI host. You think the listeners are ready for Katie Halper after dark? I think so. Maybe we'll add that to the title. We're we're experimenting. (laughs) We're going to, you know, we're going through a phase. It's like, you know. I mean, it's further into the night, but it's not late night or anything. No, it's not late. So it's 8 p.m. and it's free. Guys, totally free. 8 p.m. Wednesday, January 6th, ring in the new year with me, Gabe, Reggie, and Jay Smooth. And it's free. Did I mention that? And, you know, have a little drink, have some nosh. What I hate, by the way, really quickly, I can't stand this. When people write on Facebook or Twitter, I'm so humbled by the rave reviews about my book. No, you're not. Because if you were, you wouldn't say that. That's right. Am I right? Yeah, humbled by all of my uh, my wins. Yeah, my exactly. wins in 2015 allow me to list them all in this uh, exactly. really well, long and tedious Facebook so post annoying. to make you feel bad about And this bastard. third voice in the wilderness, the wilderness that is Brooklyn, is Patrick Hillsman, or do, should I say Patrick Ismont? Anything works. <laughs> Patrick Hillsman, who's a great journalist. He writes for places like The Daily Beast, Vice News, The Stranger, Syria Deeply, Mashable, Evocative, CSM, HuffPo. And he writes about Syria and the Middle East, and also drugs, and he makes crepes. And he's going to be talking about an article that he wrote for The Daily Beast us this week what the GOP gets wrong about ISIS. And he even got to go on Lawrence O'Donnell on MSNBC. And Just I know, ISIS? Yeah, exactly. Well, you have to do one thing at a time. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. You know, all you're right. writing for all of eternity. You can never leave. Yeah. But Patrick, you are here. Patrick, welcome. Yes, I am. Thanks. First, I want to know a little bit about your, your life experience because you, it's not every journalist who writes about Syria and drugs or the Middle East and drugs. That is in the drug trade in the Middle East, but, but as sure. two separate entities. So can you tell us why those two things interest you? Um, well, I mean, obviously it's because of my personal experience because I was, I was a heroin addict for three years. And uh, I, I think that it's sort of a cliche that, you know, ex-junkie uh, war journalist, people have written books about it. I guess that it's just sort of whatever it is in you that you're looking for in that kind of adventure, if I can say that, is similar in a certain way. I know that Chris Hedges said that uh, war is like a drug. Mm. And I don't really agree that it's exactly like a drug because any time... I'm in Syria, I'm miserably frightened and just not holding a very good composure. So I can't really describe that as like a pleasurable feeling, but it's addictive, I guess, in the way that like a time machine would be addictive. How is that? What do you mean? Well, because it's dangerous, but it just really, really like sort of strips off the veil of like society or like how the world works Mm. in a weird way. Do you feel like once you've said to people that you were a junk, you called yourself a junkie, right? Is that like a a pause, like a fat, like when people reclaim the word fat? Um, I don't know. I think that it's just a... Neutri- it's like neutral. I think it's neutral, you, but it's I, I think that I know that a lot of ex-addicts who use it. it. Maybe, okay. Let's reclaim it. Let's take yeah, it. Okay. Yeah, okay. Okay, right here, December 30th, we are reclaiming... Well, not we, because I can't, um, but some of my best friends. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick Hillsman is going to reclaim the word yeah. junkie. And um, do you find that sometimes if you tell that to people, do they then take your war journalism less seriously? Do they dismiss you as a serious kind of professional? Um... Shockingly, no, actually. Mm. Uh, at first, I, I didn't, I was a little bit shy about it for like the first year 
of uh, of covering the Middle East, but because I, I didn't want to be that guy that was like, hey, I do yeah. you know, war and drugs, and right? Yada yada. But I'm um, stay away from me. I'm bad news, yeah. chicks. <laughs> yeah. But I wanted to uh, I wanted to sort of stand on my own merits and be able to cover some interesting topics. And uh, the situation has just evolved or devolved so rapidly that. Um, it's, it's hard for me to take a step back and kind of get perspective on my own story, but I think as, I, as I've matured a little bit and gotten away from that point where I was actually addicted, uh, I think it's, it, it's good for me to, to write about it and to sort of confront it. And I think there's a lot of stereotypes and a lot of just insane BS out there about, about uh, addiction. We had a really interesting interview with um, Johan Hari about this, who's the author of Chasing the Scream. But Gabe, feel free to interject with any questions. Because Gabe, we spoke before the show, as is our want, and Gabe was very excited about your work. Can I say that? Are oh, you- yeah, totally. Okay. No, I, I really, uh, I was thinking about Johan Hari's book and sort of the different approaches people take on um, addiction. Mm-hmm. And then reading your article on the blog around heroin uh, users. Yelp for heroin. Yelp for heroin. So every other product in the world has consumer reports. Right. And so why shouldn't uh, heroin? And of Hari, Johan Hari's uh, arguments was that subculture yes. around drugs in and of itself can be romantic and alluring. Yeah. And then the more banal and, and uh, routine you can make drug use, the less appeal it has. Right, and, the um, forbidden fruit thing, right? Like yeah. You don't want it to be legal. Totally. That's how so exciting it is. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, there's a, there's a truth to that, you know, and it's sort of like the whole adventure aspect, I guess. Just so listeners know, this is f- an article that Patrick Hillsman wrote for Alternet called The Hidden Story of Middle Class Heroin in Brooklyn and Beyond. Mm -hmm. And it opens with an underground website that rates heroin quality and safety is helpful, but also reveals what addicts in America must resort to for harm reduction. What do you mean by what addicts in America must resort to for harm reduction? There's not any service out there to like put out a signal when something's going to kill you. You know, and actually how I actually came across the blog was that um, in 2010, I, I overdosed. And uh, it was like a kind of like a near-death experience thing. By the way, nothing between life and death. Total blackness. I don't believe in that. Oh, no light. They, <laughs> God nothing. didn't ask yeah, you. Not. God didn't say yeah. we're sending you back to nope, Earth nope, for no, another chance. No, no, no. Just naked <laughs> blackness. Total darkness. Heaven can wait. You woke up in like a different body. <laughs> As a puppy. Yeah. Isn't that a dog movie? Uh, I mean, I wasn't technically dead, but like all dogs go to heaven. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. But um, no, but I was I was actually uh, there was this brand that hit the streets in like twenty. 2010 that was called Purple Label and a lot of people overdosed from it including myself and I was actually just I was curious about it if like anybody had written about it online and I was I was googling it and that's how I came across the website and uh, I just sent an email to uh, to Eve who runs it and uh, I said that I'm a former addict uh, no judgments I'm just really interested in this story would you talk to me it turns out we had a mutual friend and she just came over to my place and did an interview it was very interesting and the mutual friend is okay She's okay now, yeah. Okay, good. And I just found uh, that the whole subculture around um, sort of junkies or heroin addicts um, uh, so regulating. That's our word, not yours. It's your word. I <laughs> no, yeah, <okay>. but <laughs> air quotes or something, right? But uh, the idea that they would go out of their way to be helpful towards one another, and that sort of, um, I guess, there would be a myth of sort of a drug addict as being selfish. Ah, uh, yes, or totally. The, um, well, yeah. I, I gotta, I gotta just speak for myself that I think that it, it, for me, it was very selfish but there is but what was very selfish being sorry. a drug addict of course right. but okay. that's but you're right in the sense that it's not all there is to it right. I mean, and it's true that the I, I think it was in uh, in the book train spotting where they said that, that train spotting the, the, the problem's not the problem's not the heroin it's when it runs out you know right like, yeah yeah shifting gears a little bit sure. uh, just cuz 
you're, you have this double focus, double mm. expertise. Can you talk about how you got into um, reporting on the Middle East and also your French perspective and your French background? And then we're going to, and then tell us a little bit about the article about what the GOP gets wrong about ISIS, which is like, we don't have time for the 72 hour long <laughs> yeah, no. monologue on that. But um, I was born in New York and I moved to Jersey when I was pretty young. And so I mostly grew up in Jersey. My mom's from France. Uh, my dad's from here. He speaks really good French. Okay. And uh, I, the French even think so? Yeah, actually. Wow, they don't yeah, make that's, fun that's of him? That's an accomplishment. Wow, no, that is. They don't. Yeah, none of the waiters Dieu. make fun of him when he goes. They wouldn't dare. They wouldn't dare. When he gets a, yeah, okay. Uh, we'll when he orders his frog legs? Yeah, he'll, he'll kick their ass. Oh, nice. In French. <laughs> No. <laughs> um, yeah, I grew up in Jersey, and I went to Columbia. And honestly, I think that a part of getting addicted was the stress of Columbia, honestly, because it's crazy. But after I was clean, I basically, I had always been interested in the Middle East because my college girlfriend was, was Egyptian. So by total coincidence, I'd been very interested in, in the Balkans at that point. And uh, I ended up dating an Egyptian, and I went to visit her in Egypt, and uh, I, I started to sort of learn that so much of the stereotypes that we know are, are insanely wrong, and this was very close to 9-11. So I just, I was so fascinated by, I don't want to really fetishize any culture, because I think that's wrong, and that's not the point, but I'm... This is a safe space for fetishizing. <laughs> but We're all about fetishes here. <laughs> okay, good. We can bring out the whips and no. Mm -hmm. But uh, mm -hmm. what's fascinating about it to me is how very wrong we get it. And, you know, the Orientalism is a very intelligent thesis. Edward Said. Yeah. And when you... Presente. I went to college. So after I got clean, the Arab Spring had happened, and I was just so... I remember, actually, at one point when I was uh, I was detoxing, I was just getting clean, and uh, I saw the, the news that uh, Mubarak had just been overthrown, and I, I literally burst into tears. Like, it was really, like, a transformative moment in a weird way. And I, it's strange, because it doesn't really have very much to do with me. But it just seemed like Do this. Do you Egyptian identify? No, not at all. Just checking. <laughs> Again, a safe space in case you do. But it was just people who, who lived in this system that was so oppressive for generations. And it just seemed like it was impossible that anything would ever change. Now, of course, we're back to fascist, horrible dictator. Right. That's the that thing that always seems and to happen. Hopefully, he'll be in the ground soon. But so it reminds me of the Bernie Sanders quote. Remember when, I mean, this wasn't external regime change. But when he's like, it's very easy, relatively easy to do regime change. The question is, what comes after? Mm. Yeah, but I mean, the Egypt was not regime change. That was people being pissed off at their government. Well, it was but, internal regime yeah, change. Internal regime yeah, change, exactly. exactly. Yeah. But um, yeah, so when the Arab Spring happened, I and for some reason I just I, I knew a little bit about the culture of uh, Ba'athist Syria and I, I knew that there was a tradition of extreme violence against dissidents there. So as soon as it sort of started going off in, in Syria, I knew that it would turn violent and I thought that this was a good a good subject to focus on. So I moved to Beirut and uh, started interning for Syria Deeply, which is a blog that focuses only on Syria. And then I just sort of, I got frustrated by the, the culture of journalism in Beirut because it's a lot of doing uh, journalism from afar. So I just kind of said, tech with it. And I, I took a trip to Aleppo with another journalist and uh, got a view from the ground there. So were your parents relieved? They're like, okay, our son is clean. And now he's <laughs> reporting from Aleppo. Like. Which one yeah. made them more nervous? Harm reduction yeah. off heroin <laughs> yeah. in the war zone. Yeah. Heroin would make them more nervous. Right. For sure. That makes sense. Yeah. And what 
can you tell us about what the GOP gets wrong about ISIS? Not just the GOP, though. We're on WBAI. Yeah, We're beyond that. What does everyone get wrong about ISIS, and what is the solution? What okay. would you say is the solution? Okay. There's a couple things to know about ISIS. For starters, they're incredibly good at, at fighting armies that don't really care about fighting them that much. Mm. You know, that's sort of the, that's why they're amazing. And it's kind of ironic because all these bizarre strategies are being floated, but they're just people, you know. 2014, I got a chance to, to go back to Aleppo. I, I've been there twice before. And uh, I got to see the areas that had been liberated from ISIS by other rebel groups. And it was, it was really fascinating to see this because they, the, the other groups that moved in to kick out ISIS ha definitely had the support of the population. And they were able to do it in like six weeks from Aleppo province. That's a spectacular victory against something that, I mean, all the major powers are fighting them and they can't right. beat them. So it's like a joke, you know. So what does that tell us? That tells us that everyone is lying, that it, it's complete BS. I mean, like Putin says that he's in there fighting ISIS and he's just killing civilians and killing ISIS's opponents. They've gained territory against other groups since he's been there. America is slightly more respected on the ground because we pay more attention to avoiding civilian casualties, but we still killed civilians. Right. And it's it, the fact is that the military force that we apply is more about calming internal political issues than about actually helping the people. So people calming internal political issues in America, here. Okay. Yeah. So it's like or oh Russia. people are freaking out about beheading videos. Exactly. So okay. So let's say you're you uh, somehow become president, mm -hmm. right? Uh, what do you what would you do? Like I I'm curious about kind of both the ideal solution from a, a utopian perspective of mm -hmm. like you know, whoa! I would overthrow capitalism and then blah blah blah. But to would, both but of those no. things, that. But also, what would what would a president of the United States be able to do? Um, I think from the start, when there was the initiative, I, this really doesn't sit well with the pacifist in me because I protested the Iraq War and all that. But I, I really want to emphasize the point that Syria is not Iraq. I hear a lot of people saying that we're in there for the oil, which is really funny because there's not there's not that much oil in comparison with other countries. It's not an OPEC nation. I think that a no-fly zone would have dramatically changed the situation because part of the selling point of the jihadi groups was that they say the West are infidels, they won't help us, they don't care about us. And the first time I went to Aleppo, there were so many nationalist rebels, so many secularists who were rebels. Somebody showed me a, a Richard Dawkins video, my wow. first night in Syria, and I'm in a rebel, a rebel safe house, and they're showing me Richard Dawkins. And but at the same time, there's Islamists that come through as well. Right. So there was a, a, a broad variety. And I think that people, warfare works like in momentum in a weird way because Jabhat Nusra, which was like the pinnacle of the jihadi group at the beginning, was much smaller. But in terms of effective fighting force, they were more powerful because they use suicide bombers and tactics like that. So you're, you would do what as president? Oh, okay. So they should have done a no-fly zone. There's no question about that because the situation resembles Bosnia. Right now, basically, I think the best thing to do is to make the demands that will make life easier on the population there. We can't do a no-fly zone over the entire country because Russia is there. So that's war with Russia. It's impossible. But the way that Syrians view us is negative because we're not asking for things that would help them. You know, people that think that Assad is stability, that's crazy because there's no such thing as a time machine. This is if you ask refugees who left, most of them will say they left because of the bombardment and because of the regime. So, and they know a lot of them are avoiding conscription. So mm. if Assad stays in power, they will never go home. Okay. That's the only solution where no one right. ever goes home. It's war forever. So that's where the Iraq-Syria comparison right. of each evil dictator but st who provides stability. Yeah. Does exactly. not translate. Not, yeah. uh, so, America has poured fuel on the fire in some senses, but it's not America that really destabilized Syria. It's it's truth that destabilized Syria. Are there are there sectarian uh, groups or um, oh yeah different uh, <laughs> political interest groups that could be empowered or, uh, or given some sort of support that would I think almost anybody with any power in that country is evil. 
at this point. Nice. Okay. I, I don't think that it's. Uh, so all the good ones have left. Yeah, but that's not really. Th- th- there's an like addendum in, to that. Like a Fallujah and American Sniper. I'm just kidding. But I did just <laughs> see that. So it's just full of Sith warlords. What? Well, no, no. There's an addendum to that that I'm gonna say. Is yeah. that We tend to think of we say that there's no real secular opposition. Okay, in terms of military fighting force, that's true. But at the same time, I know people, activists who espouse political beliefs that are completely counter to the Islamists, who they can go to areas that are controlled by certain Islamist militias, no problem whatsoever. If they go back to the regime, they're in prison. And that's that's an example that I was saying about what American policy should do is we should try and empower people who will make a change. If we're going to make a demand, we should demand that they release those secular prisoners that they're holding. I mean, they're holding thousands and thousands of people, people who are not jihadis, people who are basically pacifists, some of them, and and we haven't made any demands on behalf of them. It's just ISIS is not the only issue. It's, it's ridiculous. Well, speaking of demands, we're going to have to demand that you come back. How you like that? <laughs> okay, you can good. find Patrick on Twitter at Patrick Hillsman, and definitely we're going to have you back because we oh, have yeah. to have a whole show with you. We're now going to speak to, we're very excited to speak to Sarah Jones, who's a an Obie and Tony Award-winning performer and writer. And the, the common theme or the common thread, if we want to make a transition between what you were talking about, Patrick, and Sarah Jones is talking about, is harm reduction, uh, whether or not you think that's the correct way to go. But Sarah Jones is going to be talking to us about her new show, Sell By Date, which deals with sex work. Sarah, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. Sarah, by the way, as we said, is working on a... Can I call you Sarah, by the way? I don't know what else I would have you call me. Ms. Jones. I'd have to make something else up. No, Ms. Jones will will not do. Sarah's great. Okay, great. Well, um, Sarah's new show that she's working on, Sell By Date, will be at New York Live Arts starting January 6th, um, 6th through 10th, and then 12th through 16th, correct? That's correct. And that's it in Chelsea. Twelve shows. And you have some really cool talkbacks with really cool guests afterwards, including Maria Popova and Kathy Najimy and Arjun Poo. Yeah. So my favorite people. I'm so excited. Yeah, it sounds really exciting. And for people who don't know, Sarah Jones is like just an incredible performer, writer, mimic. I don't want to call you mimic. I feel like that belittles you. But you do an amazing impersonation. Channeling. Channeling, yes. Channeling. channeling, yeah. You have been called a master of the genre by the New York Times, and lots of people out here listening to WBI, I'm sure, have seen or heard of Bridge and Tunnel, which was amazing. And I was really interested in the fact that I didn't know this until I was looking into your bio, but that you actually planned to become a lawyer originally. Is that That's right? right? That's right. So did I, actually, weirdly enough, and uh, huh. never did that either. But Lucky you. Lucky both of yeah. you. And this is Reggie, uh, our engineer, and Gabe is here, my co-host, Gabe Pacheco, comedian. Yes, and, and present. Pa- and Patrick Hillsman, who we just spoke to about, you know, dr- drugs and ISIS and other fun topics. Also, you went to Eunice, right? I did, I the did. School. And then you met Gloria Steinem. She's a fan of yours. So much of what you've done is kind of been in the service of, of activism and organizing. So you were commissioned for the National Immigration Forum. And you also worked with W.K. Kellogg Foundation to raise awareness of ethnic and racial health disparities in the U.S., which led to A Right to Care, your fourth solo piece. And you were recently invited to, no big deal, hashtag NBD, but did Michelle Obama invite you to the White House, correct? Mm-hmm. How yeah. was that? It, uh, I mean, you know, one of the 
I guess I had sort of an out of body against the first the first time, and then I get to I've, I've been invited back. It's an incredible OMG. experience to you know be the opening act for President Obama. <laughs> it's a really strange wow. thing. Was he upset? Yeah. Was he like, I can't go on after this? You know what? He was just fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, he the great news is, yeah, he managed very well, uh, and uh, I am roughly the same height as the first lady, so they didn't even need extra adjustment to the podium. I, I, I think that's why they had me back. I'm sure it was just a height issue. No talent. Was, no um, talent had I'm nothing. I'm an easy to do guest. With it. I'm an easy guest. Yeah. Although the characters do eat. A lot more than I always joke to people that make sure you have an army's worth of food in the green room because I'm bringing 14 people with me. Oh, yeah. You're eating for 14. I'm eating for 14, although that's probably an American standard right now, but don't get me into that. Oh, yeah. So so true. So can you tell us a little bit about your background and how that influences your ability to, to impersonate so many different characters of different ethnic backgrounds and also how you discovered you had this talent. Like, were you performing in front of your parents as a six-year-old, or how did you discover you were so good at this? Well, lest you all get bored with me, I'm going to let a couple of characters oh, answer perfect. some of these questions. So we'll see if we can ruffle somebody up now yeah. um, to answer that one. Okay. Hi, Katie Sweetheart. How are you? Can you hear me okay? I can. How are you? I'm on a contraption. It's not even a phone anymore. It's a, I don't know what this thing is machine that makes you a souffle. Anyway, uh, my name is Lorraine Levine, and it's wonderful to be here with all of you lovely people. By the way, Uh, sorry, I just, Lorraine, I want you to know that there's a tradition on the show where people don't laugh into the mic, even though that's the opposite of what I want them to do, but the Patrick, the journalist sitting next to me, looked at me, lip-synced, oh my God, when you started talking, and is red-faced trying to control his laughter. But okay, uh, sorry, Lorraine, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I'm, I'm... I'm very flattered. I don't know that I've said anything so funny so far, but maybe he's uh, uh, he, he has he's having anticipatory uh, <laughs> laughter response. I appreciate that. Anyway, what I'm here to tell you is that I and uh, other uh, friends of Sarah's, she calls us her friends, and you know we do what we have to do. But I always joke <laughs> that uh, she puts me in her shows, what she calls her one woman shows. And then she takes the credit and makes us come out and do all the work. <laughs> oh, God, that's so unfair. It sounds like you guys should organize or unionize to defend your rights. I'm, a, I'm definitely a union supporter. I knew it. And <laughs> I'll, I'll just say this. Sarah grew up in one of those families. You mentioned the Obamas. You know, in my day, a mixed marriage was a reform marriage in Orthodox. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. But for her family, it's different colors of the rainbow and all of that. And so she heard all the different voices growing up as a little girl, just like you said. And she was a little sponge. And uh, the next thing you know, she's off and running. So that's my, my two cents. But it's lovely uh, 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 visiting with you. And how old was Sarah when she started doing these uh, voices? Hi, um, this is Naveda. I just wanted to cut in and say that um, Lorraine was talking a long time, so I would like to intervene, if that's okay. Sure. Um, my name is Naveda, and um, I think I know that Sarah Jones, she had started kind of thing, kind of thing, thing, um, long time before I was born. I'm Dominican. I, I'm from New York, um, and she's older. But, you know, like, I think that she was growing up in the time in, in New York when, like, it was very diverse, and from the earliest memories that she was always... Um, doing that kind of thing, even though she didn't pursue it like for her um, 
studies and everything like that. I should never went to school and blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry if I'm talking a little bit fast. I get a little bit nervous because I know I'm on the radio. I don't want to say something stupid. And then I start talking too fast oh, and no, nobody can good, understand me. Okay, okay. Anyway, so that's, yeah, my understanding is that she just like has started when she was little, very little. And all the things that you get in trouble for, like I, I that's one of my philosophies. If they used to get you in trouble and kicked out of class, it's probably your passion. You should probably right. follow that. And um, I don't know if Sarah's still there, but I was wondering if Sarah had any of her friends around from sell-by date? Hi, I'm here. This is Sarah, and I am going to bring you a couple of sell-by date friends. Um, just so you know, some of my friends from Bridge and Tunnel oh. are um, sort of in the mix. Sell-by date is so much about people's lives and what um, you know, kind of preconceived notions we have about people in the same way I think that Bridge and Tunnel was hopefully about, um, you know, having more of a, a lens on um, who we all are as human beings uh, than just focusing on any one ethnic background or, you know, like really trying to explore our full humanity. So um, let's see. Speaking of full humanity, um, I can think of a... <laughs> One human being in Cell by Date who is very full of lots of things. I know the woman at Carnival. <laughs> She's very full, yes. yes but she, I think I'm gonna. I think people can come to the theater and meet her. But okay. Um, Hi, Katie. Um, my name is Bella, and I, first of all, I'm just like a super admirer of like yours. And I know Sarah Jones because she like came to my school to give like a pluralism workshop or whatever. I'm like, I feel that, like, as a feminist, which, you know, like, first of all, I'm named for Bella Abzug, who's, like, obviously, like, a really important feminist from, like, history. But, like, I just feel that, like, the topics that we cover in Cell by Date are, like, topics that everyone should talk about. So that's why I'm, like, here. And I just feel that, like, no matter what age you are, like, people can call me a millennial. Whatever. It's just kind of, like... I don't need anyone to, like, label me with the word that makes them feel comfortable around me just because they're, like, chronologically advanced. <laughs> that's very, um, that's very non-ageist of you, that you call them that, chronologically advanced. Yeah. I totally, like, feel like I want to respect people and reach out across all the divides. And especially, like, not just being an ally of, like, people of color, even though I also consider myself to be a person of a color, just more like a pinkish beige color, but I do understand like power dynamics and hierarchy and I just want to be like helpful to everyone. Do you check your white privilege? I have actually had my white privilege like removed. Oh wow. You can like exfoliate it away. <laughs> nice. So you're you're in like a post racial space, personally at least you are. I'm totally like post post progressive right. like yeah I just feel that it's like my duty to like reach out across especially with like again like feminism like people can even get upset about like well why do you talk like that and it's like talk like what like I think we need to reach out not only across like ethnic lines and like like orientation and like everything like like across the vocal ranges yes what's it called vocal fry Fray? people it call called? it vocal fry but as a vegan i <laughs> feel that like the word Patrick, fry it sort of implies that you eat maybe like um. cooked animal i just don't appreciate it <laughs> it's problematic 
very problematic. By the way, as I'm talking to you, I subconsciously am twirling my hair <laughs> in the way that, like, I didn't even realize it, that girls who talk like this kind of do. Do you know what I'm talking about? When they kind of, they grab onto a piece of hair and they twist it when they are talking. Like they twist in it? Yeah. So I just want you to know that's how powerful you are to me, Bella. <laughs> I am really taking that in right now. Okay, thank you. Bella is awesome. Bella is awesome. And does Bella or Sarah or anyone else want to talk about how Sarah started working on Sell by Day and what made her uh, want to address or look at or explore sex work? Let's see who. This is me, Sarah. I'm trying to think Hi, if there's Sarah. anybody who wants to uh, <laughs> dive in. I know. I, I pressed them into service. Well, I think it's important to say. Like, you know, there are so many um, myths and uh, there's so much misinformation and, frankly, just so little basic humanity in our conversation about, you know, whether you want to call it commercial sex or sex work or prostitution or pornography, you know, whatever, however we're sort of framing these issues and ideas, I think for far too many people, they are issues and ideas that are abstract and not connected to, you know, real human beings who are doing their best to live a a self-determining life on a planet that seems to want to rob us of both self and determination. It's funny. We had uh, Melissa Gira Grant on the show who wrote Playing the Whore and writes a lot about sex work. And she said something that I always remember, which is kind of like people always want to talk about sex work, but not about sex workers. So they want to tell you their opinion on sex work, but they don't want to talk about like the reality of the lives of sex workers, which is something I encounter a lot and which is so great about... uh, your TED Talk captures some of these characters in Cell by Day, and it's so great because you do explore their kind of full humanity, and you offer a variety of perspectives, ranging from, can I give, can I talk about, it's on your TED Talk, so is that kosher? To talk it's about? totally kosher. Okay, awesome. So one it's of the characters. It's halal. It's halal and kosher, awesome. One of the characters is an Irish woman, and she was forced into sex work by her heroin-addicted husband, and another one is a woman who's from Trinidad. And she, I love her line where she says something like, it's not liberating, but it pays. And my family doesn't know about it, but they know that they get, my kids know that they get their school books and their tuition paid. And I think that that, that, that character is so fascinating because one of the things that we talked about on the show in the past is kind of, there is this whole debate about whether sex work is liberating or exploitative, but at the end of the day, don't we as kind of progressives want to improve conditions of jobs, whether or not they're liberating or exploitative? You know, I, it's, this has been a journey for me of so many interviews with so many people in so many contexts. And I'll tell you that I've had my head kind of spun around mm. 360 degrees 360 times. And no matter how I look at this debate, right, I mean, I'll just share about having been in Germany and having women there talk about, um, women in particular, uh, who I met with, talk about how, you know, they have access to education, they have access to housing, they have access to social services that, you know, here, the very idea that people, you know, can... um, have all the freedoms in the world and choose to do this work voluntarily, it's, it's very different um, than talking to somebody in a country, mostly in Europe, or the folks I've talked to, who say, look, we're making this choice from a certain place, 
And, you know, they'll be the first ones to say a lot of times what we hear around, you know, women in America is, you know, this is the only way to make money. This is the only way to take care of my family. This is the only way that, you know, for me to be able to pay medical bills. And so I was fascinated by how much this is a, a, you know, a question that morphs every time you cross a border. It's a, you know, the context shifts no matter where you are, who you are there. You could tell, you know, almost infinite stories about the different ways and reasons people, you know, enter the sex trade. And what I want to look at is what kinds of choices do people really have? Um, and you can't do that by painting everyone with a broad brush mm. or only looking at it through, you know, what's happening in the United States. Or are you talking about Mississippi or New York? I mean, those are two different worlds, truly. Mm. So it, it really fascinated me to talk about these same issues with so many people who had myriad facets to how they're experiencing it personally. And where I really landed is I want the audience to, I just want to lay out a platter of, you know, ideas and let people, you know, come to it and experience these human beings. That's who they are first and foremost. You know, our neighbors, our friends, our mothers could have been myself. And I, one of the things I loved about doing this research is how clear I got that when I was, you know, hanging out in hip hop clubs and, contemplating doing some video dancing and, well, maybe I'll do this and, oh, I could strip for a little while. I thought about all of it. And I just think that there's a lot less distance between all of us on this issue than we think. It, it really gets otherized. People really think it doesn't have any impact on them. Right. And, you know, I really want people to come and connect. That's, that's my goal with this show. And enjoy it. You know, these people are beautiful human beings. Every person I've met. And how do you go about, what's your process? How do you go about interviewing people? How do you present to them what you're going to be doing? How do you kind of balance what they actually say with crafting a dramatically interesting narrative and monologue? Right. I well, just hit you because, with a bunch of questions. Sorry about No, that's okay. That was sort of a hydra. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I write the work. I don't, it's not documentary theater. I don't record people and then memorize it or anything oh, okay. like that. Like I really try to come up with a whole, a whole new fictional, but from a place of, um, you know, hopefully being informed by these people's real stories. I try to come up with something that is a composite of ideas that are really compelling to me and that feels true. I need the, the person's story to resonate with me. So I've met with and or read about, with, you name it, hundreds of sources, hundreds of people, hundreds of articles. It's crazy. My process is um, take a vertical plunge into, you know, a person's reality as deeply as they'll let me go, bearing in mind that, you know, they are a reflection of me. I believe in this concept of like, you know, I'm not really a separate self. I'm really here as part of this big organism of people's lives on earth. And so if I'm otherizing someone or judging and thinking, oh, I could never, or that's not me, then I'm, I'm really just in a hallucination. Like mm. the truth is this person, but for their exact circumstances is me. If I had the same choices they had, I probably would have done exactly right. what they did. And so that really helps me come from a place of I'll listen to an interview, I'll meet people. And, and how then many I people did you speak to personally? Uh, oh, there's a, there's a list that exists somewhere oh. on Google on Google Drive okay. <laughs> that has the exact number, but it's oh man, I mean I you know it would take me a long okay. time to count okay. them. Yeah. 
And, and you went to different countries. I went to different countries. I went to Korea and learned oh, about, wow. you know, the, the so-called comfort women, the women who right. were abducted as, you know, slaves. Not into according to the Japanese, Japanese government. No, that's right. Right. It, right. Well, let everybody... But of course you're who, right, exactly. Every, I, I'm anxious to speak to them. I right. hope they get tickets to the show. That would be great. Um, Bring it to great. Japan. Well, right. Sarah, we have to go because we're, we are out of time, but we love talking to you, and we'd love to have you on again, do a deep dive, have 100,000 of your characters come in and do an interview. People can find you at Jones Sarah on Twitter. Yeah. And your website? SarahJonesOnline.com. Online, SarahJonesOnline.com. Thank you so much. Everyone see Sell By Date, and thank you, Patrick Hilsman, for joining us, who, by the way, he will shortly be starting as associate editor of the new website, The Influence, a daily news site about recovery addiction that focuses on harm reduction and social consequences of drugs. And don't forget, next week, 8 o'clock at the Brooklyn Commons Cafe, the Katie Halper Show and Tell will be live with in front of an audience with Jay Smooth. That's right, Jay Smooth of WBAI. Sarah, you should come. You're probably performing. You are performing that night. We'll, we'll, you, it's live streaming, so we'll send you a copy. And I'm going to ask you now. You don't have to commit, but I would love to have you on one of these live shows one that of these months. That sounds amazing, and have fun, and amazing. I will be there in spirit. Oh, amazing. Oh, I'll amazing. be there in spirit. Great. Thank you so much. And everyone, go to her show. It's going to be fabulous. See you next week. Great. Bye, Bye. everybody. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah. This Wednesday, January 6th at 6 p.m., you can find us on the WBAI radio waves, just as you can every other Wednesday. But this Wednesday, January 6th at 8 p.m., you can also find us live at the Brooklyn Commons at 388 Atlantic Avenue for our first live taping of the Katie Halper Show, where we'll be talking to Jay Smooth. So come on down and we'll see you there.